Today's scripture reading is in 1 Timothy 6. I'll be reading verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For the lesson. No, I'm kidding. Just sit down. You're fine. You're fine. Have a seat. There is a new rain. You guys were excited to listen to you perform tonight. We'll be here tonight, 6 o'clock, and we're going to have a campfire. Don Rogers is going to bring the fire pit, and we'll roast marshmallows and hang out afterwards. So, great time. Uh, looking forward to tonight. I'm going to read something from Second uh, Chronicles 15, and I'll just uh, I'll do a very short section here. The Spirit of the Lord came on Azariah, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa, and Asa was the king of Judah at that time. And uh, just as a side note, Asa is, a, is a, when we were trying to figure out names for our, for our boy, when we knew that Luke was coming along, I threw out the name Asa and was promptly vetoed. And then I went with Asa's son. Do you know what Asa's son's name is? Anybody? Jehoshaphat. And that didn't go either. So we, we, we settled on Luke. Yeah, you can thank my wife. Um, he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You notice the phrase that's used there. If you seek him, he's with you. And you skip down to verse 7. It says, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. And what happens is Asa and his son Joseph, both do this, is they send out people into the countryside all over Judah with the word of God, with the law of God, teaching the people what God is all about. And there's great spiritual revival during this time. And as we've gone through this summer, we've spent some time talking about pursuing God through the spiritual disciplines. And I think one of the saddest things that happens is when we, we approach God, we're, we're baptized, we come into this, this kingdom relationship with God, and then we stop pursuing God. And we miss out on the transformation that God has in store for us to really make us the people that uh, he wants us to be that help redeem and, and, uh, and, and provide healing for the world around us. And so that is what God is telling Asa is, don't give up pursuing me. Don't give up pursuing me. Don't just, just say, all right, good, I'm, I'm good with God, I'm set. Okay, what else do I, what, what can I do now or what can I set my heart on now? But God is telling Asa, continue to set your heart on me and follow me. And when you do that, the great blessings come are phenomenal. We've talked about um, a bunch of different things here. Fasting, how fasting, Jesus teaches us that what that does is, is it, it helps us get past the instant gratification of our world and helps us get past self and to slow down and reflect on spiritual things. And you see that Jesus, um, he fasted at times, but especially you see... Um, uh, throughout the New Testament, the book of Acts, people fasting when they are right before they're making big decisions in life. And that's, that's huge. Is fasting calls God into to those decisions and those times in life that are very important for us. 
we talked about submission, how submitting to other people is not a, um, is not a feature of weakness. It's a feature of strength. It's saying, I don't have to have my way all the time. I don't need to fight for my rights. I could submit and somebody else can be right in these disputable matters and it's going to be okay. I'm going to, to not let my pride rule my attitude day in, day out. We've talked about confession and how when sin is like mold, it grows in the dark. And when we confess, uh, we are able to put our pride aside and God is able to heal us. And we're able to, to go past this trying to pretend something we're not, pretend we are something we're not. And, and God is, what confession does is tremendous for us as we pursue God. Forgiveness, deciding that we're going to forgive others. And it does away with that animosity that we carry around towards others and, and self. Sometimes we carry a lot of animosity around towards ourselves because we're not able to forgive ourselves. And we talked about how to do that. We talked about prayer. How without prayer, we have a very limited physical vision about what life is about. But when we spend time in prayer and meditation, what it does is it opens up a spiritual world to us to see something much, much greater than just what we can touch and what's in front of our nose. Um, Today we're going to talk about generosity as a key to helping us get past materialism. Now, before I jump in, okay, I'm very aware of the stereotype is that when I said that, some of you may have gone, oh no, the minister's going to talk about generosity today. Man, I don't want to do that. And the, the, the ideas that come to mind are the, if you, how many of you have ever turned on Trinity Network? Okay. I only turn that channel when I know that I'm going to have a high tolerance for whatever I see next. And it's uh, you know, the, the perfectly slicked hair, which I can't pull off anymore, perfectly pressed clothes, and if you send 20 bucks, I will pray for you today and your prayers will be answered kind of thing. Wait a minute, that just does not look like what I see in Scripture. There's a whole lot of things, there's a whole lot of reasons why. But there is, you don't have to get on Google search and just search um, ministers who have embezzled money. <laughs> you will see one after the other, after the other, after the other, that have, dis- that have completely dishonored God in the way they've approached things. But just because that happens doesn't mean that God isn't on to something. And God knows something about us and how important being generous is for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So how many of you think that we might have just a little teensy-weensy problem with materialism in our world? Just, just a little bit? Um, here's a definition of materialism that I found. A tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual realities for other people. And I believe I see this battle within me constantly, and I see it within our world. And there's a couple of articles that I found. One of them was in the New York Times, but I'm just going to read short sections of them here because I think they say something. And these are, again, not spiritual from a spiritual perspective at all, but it helps us understand the world that we live in. As a Lexington, Massachusetts psychologist and couples therapist, Eileen Zoldbrod is all too familiar with this picture. A husband and wife no longer connect. They are so exhausted from the pursuit of nice things, a big house, private school for the kids, fancy cars, that they are time-starved and depleted. Life is luxurious but unsatisfying and simply no fun. Zoldbrod said it is not only her clinical experience that tells her that such clients are on the wrong track. It is a growing body of research. Using statistics and psychological tests, Researchers are nailing down what religious teachers and philosophers have preached for a thousand years. Materialism is bad for the soul. Only in the new formulation, materialism is bad for your emotional well-being too. 
In recent years, researchers have reported an ever-growing list of downsides to getting and spending, damaging, damage to relationships and self-esteem, a heightened risk of depression and anxiety, less time for what research indicates truly makes people happy, like family, friendship, and engaging work, and maybe even headaches. Consumer culture is constantly or continually bombarding us with a message that materialism will make us happy, says Tim Kaser, a psychology professor at Knox College in Illinois, who has led some, reach, some of the recent work. What this research shows is that is not true. And this article continues to talk about how, yeah, religious people, have, what God has talked about, is, uh, has been accurate for a long time. Let me go to another article, and this is... Uh, uh, there's what this author is talking about. He, he uses a term called acquisitiveness, or the desire to accumulate stuff. He says, in my view, acquisitiveness is best understood in psychological terms. Our mad materialism is partly a reaction to inner discontent. As human beings, it's, normally, it's normal for us to experience an underlying psychological discord caused by incessant chattering of our minds, which creates a disturbance inside us and often triggers negative thoughts. Another source of psychological discord is the strong sense of separateness that many of us feel, the sense of being isolated individuals living in a world which is out there on the other side of our heads. So in other words, he's saying, here's the two problems that humans have that creates this, this real problem with materialism, is that we, we have too much time in our heads and we just let it run rampant and, and so we start worrying about the stuff out there. And number two, is that a lot of us don't have a community that we're a part of. Therefore, we're just watching life happen out there somewhere, and we see that people have a lot of stuff, and so we just think that that's what we should do. We pursue the stuff. We look to external things to try to alleviate our inner discontent. Materialism certainly can give us a kind of happiness, the temporary thrill of buying something new. How many of you experienced that? Oh, come on. All right and the ego-inflating thrill of owning it afterwards. And we use this kind of happiness to try to override or compensate for the fundamental unhappiness inside of us. In addition, our desire for wealth is a reaction to the sense of lack and vulnerability generated by our sense of separation. In other words, we don't have a community. This generates a desire to make ourselves more whole, more significant, and more powerful. We try to bolster our fragile egos and make ourselves feel more complete by accumulating wealth and possessions. It doesn't work, of course. At least it only works for a very short time. The happiness of buying or owning a new item lasts, rarely lasts longer than a couple of days. Can you relate to that? The sense of ego inflation generated by wealth or expensive possessions can be more enduring, but it's very fragile too. It depends on comparing yourself to other people who aren't as well off as you. And so if you see people around you that aren't as well off as you, you think, oh yeah, I'm doing great. And evaporates if you compare yourself to someone who is wealthier than you. No matter how much we try to compensate or bolster our ego, our inner discontent and incompleteness always reemerges, generating new desires. No matter how much we get, it's never enough because these desires are inexhaustible. The satisfaction of one desire just creates new desires like cells multiplying. And the only real way of alleviating this psychological discord is not by trying to escape it, but by trying to heal it. It's interesting to me that, that those two articles, or those two clips of two articles, come from people that are very secular in their background. But they're looking out at the world from a psychological perspective and saying, the accumulation of stuff as 
as something that is extremely important in life leaves people absolutely empty. And maybe we can see that in the world around us. We, can, we know it from experience. Um, and, and we realize that's the teachings of Jesus. Be content with what you have. And so let's walk through this. Because the, the last author left us with, the only way to really deal with this is to heal it. So how do we heal that, that, that materialism that seems to be uh, in all of us and, and running in us in our world? And we're going to go back all the way to, we're going to see in, in Exodus 34, this is how God introduces himself to the Israelites. And this, or portions of this, is repeated dozens of times throughout the Bible. And it says, He passed in front of Moses in Exodus 34, 6-7, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the father, parents to the third and fourth generation. Hey, what we see here is, even though the term generosity is not used, do we get the impression that God is a generous God? That's very clear from these, this passage here. That God is a generous God, and we see that throughout history. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, know the story of Cain and Abel. And here's a, a clip from that story. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Okay? There's the, the issue here is that when Cain comes to God, he offers some of what he has there. And when Abel comes to God, he offers the fat portion, so the best part of the firstborn. And that's the issue. It's not an issue of animals versus, versus grain. It's an issue of Abel came and brought his absolute best, and Cain brought something and just kind of threw it out there before God. And, and God knows the difference. And there's, there's, a, there's quite a bit of heartache that comes from Cain's attitude and how he approaches this. If we go to Leviticus 27.30, something we see in the Old Testament is this was a commandment that was given to the Israelites. A tithe or a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belonged to the Lord and is holy to the Lord. And that tithe was brought in and it was, take, and it was given to the priests, or, or a, a huge portion of it was given to the priests in order so they could teach the message of God to the people of the community of Israel. That's what was supposed to happen. We see also in um, Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, it says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. This is the poor who are in the land. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So God tells them, not only be generous to God, but be generous to other people around you. And God's going to bless you greatly when you do that. We go to Psalm 112, verse 5. It says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. In other words, God blesses people who are generous um, in, in life. Hey, let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And these are, are pretty quick. Uh, we're walking through this. But Malachi is, is a book that is written, and, and God is calling out the Israelites and trying to call them higher. And it's written in a style where God gives an accusation, and the people say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what are you talking about? I don't know that. And then God gives an explanation. And so God throws an accusation out here and says, will a, more, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And they say, what? what? How are we robbing you, God? We can't rob you. And look at God's response. 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I believe this is the only time God ever tells people to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not not be room enough to store it. And he continues on from there, and what God tells the Israelites is, here's the problem. You guys are working hard, you're saving everything for yourselves, and you're missing out because you're not putting me first. And that's evident in the fact that you're not bringing tithes into the storehouse. So test me in this. Give it a shot. Just see what happens. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. See if I can do it. What do you think the Israelites' response should have been to that? All right, God, you're God. You own everything. You create everything anyway. I'm in. Here I go. And stepping out in faith in that way. And uh, there is a... Let's take a time out and explain a difference here because sometimes in some material that's out there, there's, there's some teachings, sometimes it's referred to as the health and wealth gospel. Okay? So the idea is if you give to God, then God will bless you materially more than you can ever imagine. Okay? A whole lot of that is true okay? because you see passages like this. But here's the difference. Okay? Because if I only approach God that way to get more, Ultimately, my motives are pretty selfish, and if I don't see how God responds with great blessings, or those blessings are not always immediately financial, what do I do? Whoop, here I go, I'm going to go chase something else because this wasn't comfortable for me. But on the other side, if we have faith and approach God saying, God, you know what's best, and I want to show you my heart, and so I'm going to be generous towards you, and by doing so, I know that somehow, some way, this is good for me, and it's good for others. And so, if that means wealth that you give me that I didn't have before, then blessed be the name of the Lord. And if it means that I have to struggle and wrestle financially some, then blessed be the name of the Lord, because you know best. But I know that I trust that this is good for me to step out in faith and be generous to you, because that's what you called me to do. You see the difference in those two things there? Yeah, there's a huge difference. It's a subtle difference, I would say. But the, the results of, of how we approach and our attitude is, is gigantic. Okay, let's go to another passage in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is read a lot when we, when we give during our time here. And it's basically what 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15 does, is give a synopsis of, of God's teachings about generosity throughout the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, go ahead and turn there, starting in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly and under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So you see what he's saying there? If you sow to God generously, just imagine the blessings that God is going to give to you, whether it be seed or the harvest of your righteousness, good, right things coming out of your life. 
You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so the first message that is given here is God calls us to be generous, first of all, to him. Now, all of us understand that God does not need my stuff. God does not need your stuff. Okay? God has everything he needs, everything he wants, all that. He created all of it. The issue is, I need to be generous towards God. If I don't do that, then I will not reflect the heart of God in my life. And I will inevitably, whether it was in Genesis chapter 4 or now, be governed and controlled by this fear that am I going to have enough? And I've got to hang on to what I've got because I don't trust God to really be able to provide for me. And so he tells the Corinthians, hey, throw the seed out there so generously and you just see what happens with God. Look at verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession in the gospel of Christ (coughs) and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so God calls us to be generous, not only to him, but to others. And because you can see, you just feel in the way that Paul writes here, the joy and the blessing that happens when we're generous towards other people. Um, Let's talk about this here for a minute, just in practical terms. There is uh, some great material out there. If you get a hold of Dave Ramsey's material or Steve Diggs' material, they talk about what it means, how to, how to organize our finances and how to, to make godly decisions in that. And there's some tremendous stuff. If you need uh, Steve Diggs' book, come and see me afterwards. I've got several copies and I'll give you one. Okay, It's great. And, uh, and that's tremendous material to, to help you. Because the Proverbs talk about that it's honorable to, to save and to set aside and to prepare for, for uh, blessing your children, all that kind of stuff, okay? And so that is, that is honorable and good, that God wants us to be, to be deliberate in, in the way we handle everything that we've been blessed by God. Tremendously important. And so the question we ask, yeah, that'd be great, Mark, thanks, um, is how do I, how do I see, how, do I, how am I generous towards God? How do I do that? Do I take, because this, this question comes up sometimes. Thanks, Mark. And a little prayer here and there for this. I'm still walking through this cough, but we'll get there. Um, there is a... I remember a kid that I grew up with once when he came and his family became part of the church. He asked once, what happens to all that money when we put it in the collection plate? Do people go out back afterwards and throw it up in the sky? Is that what happens? Is that how we give back to God? And uh, And... Of course, the answer is, is no, if you didn't know that. But what you see in the Old Testament is, is the, the concept is you bring the tithe of that 10% into the house of God, and that allows and empowers ministry to go out and to, uh, into the world. So for us, there is, and it's rightly so, that the Scripture does not ever talk, New Testament does not ever tell us to tithe in the sense of 10%. And sometimes we use that from the perspective of, okay, there's, we're not told to, to tithe, therefore I'm not, going to go, I'm not going to step out near with that much faith. 
But you read the early church writers, what they talk about is if, if the Israelites were under law and they were demanded by God to give 10%, how much more should we be generous with the grace and message of Jesus that we have with us today? And that's really convicting for me. That's really convicting and it, it uh, creates an inner conflict about, oh man, what am I supposed to do with that? And Paul tells us is be cheerful. Be cheerful, step out in faith, and watch God work. And so I know that there's in our world as well, and Dave Ramsey goes this direction a little bit, says create a, a, a place in your checking account, however you do that, that is this is money that I, I give to God. And, and you, you give that, God out, or that money out to, to people that are in need and such like that. And, and here's a tweak. I think this is important for us to note is that there's a tendency within us as Americans to be generous, but, but maybe we want to be generous on our own terms. Okay? And what I mean by that is the Israelites were called to take their tithes to the temple. And when we decide to be generous and, and not give to God's church that we're a part of first, we, we can develop a perspective where we're kind of these moral free agents, Lone Ranger Christians, that I decide where things go to instead of bringing it into the community of God of which I'm a part of. Okay? And so I know that for, for myself, my wife and I, when we first got married, we, we decided first and foremost, the community of, of people that we're a part of, that's where we're going to start being generous. And over and above that, we're going to be generous in, in all sorts of other ways, hopefully, that, that God has... Is, will bless us and allow us to, to do that. And I know that um, some great ministries are out there, tremendous ministries. In fact, this next Sunday, I'm going to be gone because I'm going to be up at teen camp teaching there. But Pedro Sanchez, a, mi- a missionary that this church has helped support for a long time, is going to be here. And uh, Don Henson is going to translate from Spanish to English. And so you guys get to participate in that. I tell you, I'm out of town when all the good stuff happens. Man, but... Uh, Fortunately, he's going to speak to the teenagers on Sunday evening, and that's going to be a tremendous experience as well. But that's something that this church has done in order to allow the message of God and promote the message of God going out into Chile. I know that our friend Kelvin Hoover that lives over in Livingston, who is a spokesman for the Lifeline of Hope, I know people in the church here have gone and, and taken and adopted orphans financially to help them to be able to have be taken care of all over the world. And those are tremendous things that God has called us to do. And those are things, those are all investments, giving to the community of God here so that we can be the, continue the, to spread the message of God. And wherever else we, de, we decide that where there's good work going on, what that does is it changes and transforms us. And I've told you this, I think, before. When I was a young guy, way back in the day when I had hair and all that, you know, who has been back there a while, there was a part of me that whenever I spoke about being generous towards God, I, I, I had an edge to me that needed to be generous, you know, that kind of thing. But I've learned, and what I, where I'm at now, is that I, if you haven't wrestled with this and you haven't really stepped out in faith to be generous towards God, I feel for you. Because I know what type of slavery that means is having this, this materialism that I hang on to that I, I'm just always afraid that I'm not going to be able to survive next month or whatever it may be. But when we open up our hearts and we step out in faith and say, God is first and I will honor him and I will give to him first, it's amazing the floodgates of heaven that open up. And I don't want anybody to miss out on that because it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And so 
God is, uh, there's a couple of passages, or a couple of, of thoughts that we can, we can remember as we move on here. Generosity to God frees us from the slavery of materialism. It's that spiritual, spiritual discipline that helps us move past just what we see, what we worry about, and into the kingdom of God. And he, is, uh, he heals us and changes us in ways that we can't do any other way. And number two is that generosity to others... See, you guys sharing a Kit Kat there. Generosity to others teaches us to imitate the heart of God. And so when we give of our time, when we give of our, give of our food, we give of our house, when we change our plans because someone else needs something at that point in time, what that does is we are training ourselves to develop that heart of God that God has given to us. How many of you can think of times where God has been extremely generous to you? Yeah. Oh, man. How many of you have been in a tough spot at some point in time, and somebody who is a Christian, a godly person, stepped in and was a blessing to you that helped you get through that tough time, whether financially, time, whatever, whatever it may be. You see how it works? Is that when we step out in faith, we're generous towards God, hang on for the ride, because God is, is leading us into a place with our hearts and our souls that he could not lead us any other way. And that's my prayer for all of us, is that we not be people that are chained by the materialism around us, but to really dedicate our hearts to God, to give to Him, and just watch for the blessings to come and uh, allow ourselves to be transformed. Uh, the elders are waiting in the back. If you'd like to pray with them today, if you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to head to the back. Let's uh, stand and sing together.